which is often called the Last Supper or the Last Passover that Jesus experienced. And in this, there's almost, if you will, a mini sub-series within this because we'll be spending a number of messages on the Passover Seder that Jesus partook. So much so that it might equal the number of hours that actually the disciples were there at the um, Last Supper because there's so much teaching and information there. But before I start, we have this tendency when it comes to the Bible to think more about tradition than the scriptures. Um, We do that a lot. We do that, especially with Christmas. We do it like with the angels singing, as opposed to the Bible always saying the angels say and different things like that. And we kind of When it comes to Moses, we think of Charleston Heston. We don't think of Moses. So we kind of get what we think based on our uh, tradition. And one of the things that we kind of get based on our tradition is the, that Passover. And we all think about uh, the painting that was done called the last supper. Um, I had the fortune of going to Italy a couple of times. Um, I took four years of Latin in high school. And as a result, I had a much greater appreciation and sense of uh, wanting to know more about Rome and that classical time. I was never much of a person who was interested in the Renaissance. um, And therefore, I was when we went to, to Italy, I was much more interested in Rome and different places whereas other people like uh, Tuscany area and they like Florence and all that. And, and it's okay, but it doesn't interest me. But when I went this, the second time, I was with some people and they wanted to go to Milan to see the painting, The Last Supper. And I wasn't, to be truthful with you, I wasn't all that interested. You know, we even had a picture of it in our home many years ago, and so what? It was just a painting as far as I was concerned. But sometimes it's good to do what other people want. And so we went, and uh, they were fortunate. It wouldn't have bothered me at all, but they were fortunate that we got to Milan just in time, within about 15 minutes of the the ticket place closing, because you have to buy tickets for the following day. So we bought tickets to go. Went to McDonald's to eat, a, a really classical Italian restaurant, and then uh, got our hotel. And then we went to uh, where the, the painting of the Last Supper was. And again, because when I had seen it, it was always a painting. So I was assuming we were going to see a painting. Well, it wasn't a painting. It's a mural. And it's very interesting in the sense of that it was a mural painted on one wall, and in the room that it was painted was a um, dining hall for priests. And so uh, they would assemble and there would be this, the Lord's Supper on this one side. Then there was another painting on another wall uh, by another artist who nearly wasn't as good. Now, by nearly not as good, it's not like, comparing Michelangelo to Joe Davis. No, this guy was probably good, but when you put it in the same room as, as that uh, artist, 
It just didn't look good. And it, there was some very interesting things because it was amazing because during World War II, there was a lot of bombs, drops, and artillery, and much of the building had been destroyed. But this wall and that wall were still there. And if you've seen the painting, I'm sure you have, it has Jesus sitting um, at a table with his disciples spread out and you know, and and I don't like the way they they depicted John. He kind of looks a little strange to me. And and they've got all these things, and it. it's interesting. You know, but there's some definite problems with it because first off, just because they were fishermen didn't they didn't mean they ate fish at Passover. And also, uh, the first century celebration of Passover was not sitting at a table. They reclined at a table. The first Passover, they sat ready to go with their feet shod, their uh, loins girded, ready to move out. But after that, especially in the first century, they celebrated as they concerned uh, as free men. And so they would recline at the table and they would kind of sit like this and they would eat and the feet would be out here. So they weren't sitting at a table. And so, but we get this idea that they're sitting at a table. Now, the reason I'm glad that I went wasn't that I appreciated the mural that much, although it was nice to know it was a mural, not a painting. But this is what I learned from it. Here's this great work of art. It was in a dining hall. On the other side of the wall was the kitchen. And people were tired of going out of the kitchen around and back into the dining hall. So they cut a door in the painting. So if you see the painting of the Lord's Supper, Jesus' feet aren't there because they put a door there. And so what, that what the Lord showed me was, I don't care how great you think you do and what kind of miracle you think you accomplish, somebody's going to cut a door in it. And so don't get discouraged when you think people are messing up. And so there was one person, fortunately it wasn't in our group, um, who said, well, why don't you just paint Jesus' feet again? Because nobody has the same talent as the person who painted the picture to begin with to paint Jesus' feet. It's better just to leave it alone. And so, again, there are times when we think we can fix things and we can't. So just let the door be there. But as I'm trying to say is that, that we have these ideas of what the Passover is this last time and dispense with tradition and take a look at the scriptures. So the scripture is going to tell us that they're not seated at a table, they're reclining at a table. So let's take a look at John chapter 13, starting with verse 1. Now before the feast of Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the end. Now I want you to notice at the, that twice the writer John has told us that Jesus loved his disciples. And he's loved them even though with this eventual, eventuality is going to happen. He still loves them. 
He loves them in the world, and he continues to do so. And he loved them to the end. And during the supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God. Now, I want to stop there. Jesus is about to do what Jesus is about to do, not because he's defeated, not because he's depressed, not because he's not sure what's going to happen. He knows exactly what's going to happen. He knows that he came for the very purpose that he's come, that he came from the Father and he's going back to the Father. There is no sense of ambivalence with Jesus. He knows who he is. He knows what his ministry is. He knows what God the Father has sent him to do, and he is going to do that. So he got up from the supper and laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. So Jesus has basically removed the garments that he's wearing, not because he's afraid to get them dirty, but he's doing so to show that he is becoming a servant. So he strips himself of his privilege and he wraps a towel around him for the purpose of washing feet. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel which was girded. Now, This is unusual. Now, most of you, if you've never gone to a Passover Seder, you're not sure of the events and what happens. In a typical Jewish Seder, the first thing that you do is you do a ceremonial washing of your hands. You don't wash your hands because of hygiene or cleanliness. You do it ceremonially to show that you are ceremonially clean and that your hands are done. And so you've already washed your hands with soap and water. It has nothing to do with that, but you do that. But Jesus isn't washing his hands or their hands. He's taken a basin of water and washed the disciples' feet. Now in that time, and even in that area of the world today, the feet are a very dishonorable part of your body. It was an insult to show your feet. It was an insult to show the bottom of your feet. Uh, And quite frankly, a lot of people consider their feet to be very ugly. So they, they put beautiful shoes on or whatever to disguise it. But even today, we don't think of our feet as beautiful. It's a less honorable thing. And yet Jesus has disrobed, placed a towel around him, and is washing his disciples' And so he came to Simon Peter, and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? So it's like, are you going to do to me like you've done to everybody else? Now, I think it's interesting. Up to this point, it seems that nobody has spoken to Jesus about what he's doing. I don't know if it's kind of the shock of what's he doing, or, well, wait a minute, we usually wash our hands Jesus is washing feet, you know, and so maybe there's this, we're just so dumbfounded, we don't know what to say. But Peter 
being Peter seems never to have, be a loss for words. He's always got to interject something. And so he goes, hey, Lord, do you, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, what I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. So Jesus basically says, yes. And I understand you don't quite understand what's going on, but that's okay. You're going to understand later. Now, Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. Now, I am frequently a critic of Peter. I will say, you know, dude, learn, you know. You know, yeah, you got out of the boat, but, and yeah, you walked on water, but how come you got your eyes off Jesus? You know, he's, he's one of those guys who says something and then it doesn't go well. But let me tell you, I don't disagree with Peter. Here's the son of God, the Messiah. His Messiah, his rabbi, his teacher, his Lord is going to humble himself and remove from his position of being the son of God to being a servant. And Peter's going, no, no, I know I got a real good idea who you are and I ain't worthy. And I perfectly agree with Peter. And I'd have probably, you know, if I'd have had the courage or whatever to speak up like, I'd have said, no, no, Lord, you're not doing that. Because you're the son of God. And I'm just one big mess up. But notice what Jesus says. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Now, it, this is a fairly major rebuke. If I don't wash your feet, if I don't serve in this way, then you might as well leave because we're not together. I can't think of a more cutting thing that Jesus could have said. And so Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. You know, if, if you need to wash my feet, great. But my hands get me in trouble too. So wash them. And my mind, my head just goes the wrong places. So God, wash those two. Do a thorough job. If you're going to wash my feet, wash all of me. Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean. By having faith in God, by having faith in Jesus, by understanding his sacrifice, we become righteous and we become clean. And Jesus saying, once you've been bathed in that sacrifice you have become cleansed and so you're all cleansed so i don't need to wash your feet your hands i don't need to wash your head because you've already been clean but not all of you for he knew the one who was betraying him for this reason he said not all of you are clean Now, I want you to understand something. Jesus 
wash 12 men's feet. He even washed Judas's feet. If 11 of the 12 were not worthy, you can imagine the thought of Judas. And yet Jesus says, you're clean, but I'm going to wash your feet because I want you to understand a couple of things. The first thing that he's already taught us is that faith in him cleanses us. And that our feet get dirty because we are still in the world, but not of the world And the travel through this world is a dusty, dirty place. And our feet will get dirty and dusty and need to be cleansed. So he's already taught them a valuable theological point. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, and he didn't sit down, he's reclining. He said to them, do you know what I have done to you? And the answer is no. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. So he's going, I'm going to tell you what I did, and I want to tell you why I did it. But I want you to understand that you, yes, you do call me teacher. You too call me Lord. And that is right. You're right when you do that. So if I then, the Lord and the teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. So he tells them, he did this to teach them a theological point. He's also teaching them a practical point of serving, of service, of being a servant. Now, the problem is we take this instruction and generally we do one of two things rather than one of three things. There are some denominations, not many, who do a foot washing that they'll actually wash people's feet. The problem with that is that usually before you have the ceremony to wash people's feet, they all get pedicures because they don't want their feet to look ugly and they want their toes painted and, and all those things so that when people wash their feet, they go, boy, your feet don't stink. You know, you're, you have nice feet and, and, and whatever. So it's, it's, it's an absurd thing. But they do that because they think that's the example that Jesus is telling them. And the answer is that's not the example Jesus is giving them. The other thing that we do is go, well, that's really interesting. But I'm not going to wash anybody's feet. Yeah, we'll do the Lord's Supper, and we may even do a Passover Seder, and we'll do a few things, but this is just esoteric. You know, Jesus is just being Jesus. And we never give any consideration to washing people's feet. But there is a third thing that we ought to do. And that is follow 
his example and wash people's feet, not physically, but in reality. That we need to act as a servant to people. But a servant as a servant. And so we're coming upon Thanksgiving and a lot of families, and, and this is good, and, and, and please don't think I'm critical of what I'm about to say. It's a, it's a good thing. And so a lot of families will find some place where there's like they're going to feed the, the homeless or whatever, and they go and they help serve the food. And that's a good thing. And that's doing good works, and I'm not critical of that at all. It, it has it accomplishes a lot. One, it helps to feed the people who are hungry. It gives you and your children a sense of understanding that you are blessed because it's more blessed to give than to receive. That that there that, that it is good that is good works and and I commend that to you. But that's not washing people's feet as Jesus considered it, because let's face it, you're on one side of the table serving. And they're on the other side of the table getting it. But Jesus, as the Son of God, served. He took his position and set it aside. You can be who you are and pass out food. When you are considering about servanthood. And if the thought comes across you, but I'm, you have a problem. But I'm the pastor. Thinking that somehow being a pastor means that you have some high position. Being a pastor means you've been demoted. But a lot of people think, oh, because I'm the pastor, I'm not supposed to have to do these things. But I'm the owner of the company. But I'm a deacon. But I'm this. When you but I'm the older brother. I'm the older sibling. When you think of all these things and you're saying, this is my position, therefore I don't have to do it, or I'm not going to relinquish my position, I'm just going to do, you are not washing people's feet. You're simply doing good work. But you see, Jesus set aside the fact that he's teacher and Lord and is teaching his disciples an essential aspect. You do not hold on to your position when there is need. So you wash people's feet. So you serve. So you do that which is more important for the person you're serving than the title that you have. So when you're more concerned about your title than service, you're not washing people's feet. And that's hard. Because we want to think better of ourselves. And so when we go to these places to, to feed the hungry, we're grateful and, and obviously so that we don't have to go through the food lines but we don't have to go through the food line. But when you take away your right 
for somebody else's needs. And you understand that your position is not what is important, but the service to them. So Jesus washes his, their disciples' feet to teach them not just humility, but to teach them that as the Son of God, he came to serve and to be a servant, to be a servant, not to just serve, but to be a servant. And all too often, we're happy with serving, but not being a servant. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. Jesus is saying, look at guys. You call me teacher, you call me Lord, and I am. God sent me, and he did. If I did this for you, you are not so great that you're not to do it to each other and others. Jesus went from being the son of God to serving his disciples. Jesus is simply asking us to serve one another to serve the lowly, to serve those without claiming what our position is and what our right is. And we love our rights. I'm entitled to this because of who I am. And Jesus says, you're not greater than me. And if you're not greater than me, then who are you to say, I'm entitled? If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Here's the interesting thing. So many of us know so much about the Bible. But we don't do it. Jesus says, you're blessed first if you know them, but that's not the end. You're blessed if you know them and do them. We are blessed when we know that Jesus, as the Son of God, as the Messiah, as the one sent from God, became a servant to us, then we are blessed knowing that and then doing what he did as an example. I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I have chosen, but it is that the scriptures may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread and lifts up his heel against me. Jesus says, this whole thing about Judas, and they're not aware at this point who Judas, the betrayer is. He's saying, the scriptures have confirmed this. I'm not taken by surprise of what Judas is going to do. The scriptures proclaimed it. And I am the author of the scriptures. And so as a part of being the Messiah, I will be betrayed. But I want you to understand something. When you serve, it's not the quality of the people that you're serving. You have Judas, who betrays Jesus in a few hours. 
And yet Jesus washes his feet. So when we are a servant to people, we don't say, well, you know, they, they don't understand. They don't get it. They don't like me. They don't whatever. That's irrelevant. Because Jesus even washed the feet of a betrayer. So we don't get to be a servant to those people we want to be a servant to. From now on, I am telling you before it comes to pass, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he. So Jesus is giving them additional reason for faith because he understands what's going to happen in the next several hours. He's going to rock their world. And so he's going to say, I'm going to tell you things that it's going to happen so that when they happen, you don't get that shook. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Jesus is saying, when you accept those that I send, and he's going to be sending his disciples, then it's the same thing as receiving Jesus. And receiving Jesus is the same thing as receiving the Father. Because the Father sent him. For as the scripture says, for God so loved the world, he sent Jesus. And by receiving Jesus, you receive the Father. So I'm going to close with this. Washing people's I think you should try to find opportunity to do that. Rather than waiting for it to just kind of hit you in the face, you look for the opportunity. When you find that somebody seems to be taking your rights away, that you go, that's what you need. I love you anyway. If you're in a relationship, whether it's your brothers or sisters or whatever, and it seems, I'll put it on a child's view. My grandkids love to play games, but they hate to lose. And they'll cry and whatever. And it's almost uncomfortable because you know, you're trying to say, we're trying to have fun here. This, you crying isn't fun and whatever. But there gets to be a point what, when their parents and others instruct to say, look it. It's more important for your brother to win than you because you love your brother more than winning. At least you ought to. And, but that's a hard thing because we all want to win. We all, whatever. But it's, it, it takes those types of little steps to say, he's more important or she's more important than this thing. 
And then it's like, and then you go from there to little steps of saying, wash their feet, wash their feet, wash their feet. To drive home the point that it's not about your position, but about them. So I'm going to give you a story. It's a fictional story. I just made it up. To kind of show you the difference. I talked about the food line. I want to give you another story. Fiction. I would call it a parable, but Jesus does better parables than me, so I'll just call it a story. There's an owner of a chain of restaurants, high-end restaurants, the kind that have linen table cloths and linen napkins, and, and you got to make reservations, and, and you got to check your financial statement before you can make a reservation because it's expensive, okay? So the owner of, of a chain of these tells one of his employees to go out and find four people who couldn't afford to come to this restaurant on their best day. And he finds four people and he sits them at a table. And the owner, never saying that he's the owner of the restaurant, stands at the table and pours them water. And they never have to ask for the water to be refilled. As a matter of fact, the owner of the restaurant fills the glass almost every time they drink. They never have to ask for it to be filled. And if and when the people say, thank you, he not only says, but means with every fiber of his being, it's my pleasure. I find joy in doing this. And if they drop something, he immediately picks it up and gives them a new one. And as they're conversing, they may be conversing in astrophysics. And the owner of this restaurant knows a lot about astrophysics, but doesn't say anything. And they talk about personal relationship. And this owner of this restaurant knows a lot about personal relationships. Matter of fact, written four or five books about it. Never says a word. And then they talk about the best way to cook pork belly. And this owner God is start making pork, pork bellies, but never says a word. Why? Because he's not part of the table. He simply is there to serve. See, that's different than handing out food. He is serving. He has placed himself as a lower position than the people at the table. It's not a matter of humility. It's understanding, yeah, I'm the owner, but I am serving you. And I want this day to be the best meal you've ever eaten. And then when the check comes, the check says, paid in full, including the tip. And the people at the table never know that it was the person who served them was the one who paid for it, was the one who saw to it, was the one that made sure that their evening was the best evening that they ever experienced.
because the owner of the restaurant didn't want recognition. Oh, what great thing he did. Oh, what a wonderful thing. Oh, what? And the newspapers never found out. And he told his employees under pain of being fired, you were never to speak of this. You see, because it wasn't about his position. But it was about serving. And we need to take that attitude. It's not about our position. But it's about service. And it's about setting aside who we are and who we think we are so that we might help the needs of those who need it. Now, for us, that should be easy. Because we ain't God. We're not the son of God. Yeah, we love to, to praise the Lord that we are children of the most high. And we are. But we are not above him. And he told us to do this. Again, we love to hear how much Jesus loves us. And if we have accepted that love, and we've accepted the fact that he's in fact washed our feet, then we need to stop with the attitude, empty our self-importance, and serve. In a moment, the band is going to lead us in a song that says, empty me. And usually that's the first thing we've got to do. We don't come by it naturally. We need to learn. It's not about me. That's why the song is said, in my own little world, population me. In my own little world, population zero. Because it's not about me. It's about those who the Lord puts in my path that I might serve, that I might love, that I might be like him. And if he, being the son of the living God, if he, being the Messiah, if he, being who he is, can disrobe, wrap a towel around his waist, and get down on his hands and knees to wash his disciples' feet, then who am I? to demand to stand upright. Who am I to demand that God treat me differently? And all God's people said,